0: If you spend enough time in startups, you'll likely have heard of the concept of the killer app, an application so good that people will buy new unproven hardware just for the chance to use the software. It is a foundational idea for technology investors and operators that drives a whole host of investing and building activity. Everyone is on the hunt for the one use case so magical and so powerful that it makes buying the device worth it. People are hunting with particular fervor right now, there's two simultaneous technology revolutions, AI and the Apple Vision Pro, are happening. Now, if a killer app emerges, it'll determine who gains power in these platform shifts. And because our world is defined by tech companies, it'll also determine who's going to have power in our society over the next decade. But here's the weird thing. The killer app, when it's defined as a single app that drives new hardware adoption, is kinda maybe bullshit? In my research, there just doesn't appear to be a persistent pattern of this phenomenon. I've learned instead that whether a device will sell is just as much a question of hardware and developer ecosystem than that of killer application. If we want to build, invest in, and analyze the winner of the next computing paradigm, we'll have to reframe our thinking around something bigger than the killer app, something I call the killer utility theory. But to know where we need to go, we need to know where to start. To understand that, we have to ask the question, where did the killer app come from? And Analysts have been wrestling with this question for nearly 40 years. In 1988, PC Week magazine coined the term killer application when it said, quote, Everybody has only one killer application. The secretary has a word processor. The manager has a spreadsheet, end quote. One year later, writer John C. Dorvac proposed in PC Magazine that you couldn't have a killer app without a fundamental improvement in hardware. Quote, all great new applications and their offspring derive from advances in the hardware technology of microcomputers and nothing else. If there is no true advance in hardware technology, then no new applications emerge, end quote. This idea, in which the killer app is tightly coupled with new hardware capabilities, has been true in many instances. VisiCalc was a spreadsheet program that was compatible with the Apple II. When it was released in 1979, it was a smashing success. I've updated the dollars, so this is all inflation adjusted. So customers would spend $400 for the software and anywhere from $8,000 to $40,000 on the Apple II. Imagine software so good, you would spend 10x the cost of the software on the device just to get to use it. A more modern example is Bloomberg Terminals and Bloomberg Professional Services. These are specialized computers and data services for finance professionals. A license costs about 30 grand, and the division covering these products pulls in about 10 billion a year. There are also many examples from gaming, ranging from Halo driving Microsoft Xbox sales to the Breath of the Wild moving units of the Nintendo Switch every generation of consoles will have something called a system seller, where the game is so good that people will spend money to access it. So this type of killer app software that drives hardware adoption does exist, and it has emerged frequently enough to be labeled a consistent phenomenon. However, if you're going to bet your career or capital on this idea, it's important to understand its weaknesses. And there's one crucial device that violates this rule the most important consumer electronic device ever invented. How do we explain the iPhone? When Steve Jobs launched the iPhone in 2007, he pitched it as quote, the best iPod we've ever made. He also argued incorrectly that the killer app was the phone. Internet connectivity, the heart of the iPhone's long-term success was only mentioned about 30 minutes into the speech. And when it first came to market, it didn't even allow third-party apps. Even when he was finally convinced that the App Store should exist, it launched one year later with only 500 apps. By comparison, the Apple Vision Pro already has 1,000-plus native apps just a few weeks after its release. To figure out why people bought the iPhone, I read through old Reddit posts and blogs and user forums, just trying to find someone who's like, this is the killer app for me, this is why I bought it. And the answers were so all over the place people talked about gaming apps they talked about productivity there's even one guy who's like i bought the iphone because i liked the flashlight app there really was no consensus pick so how do you explain this how did the iphone go on to dominate when there weren't any must-have apps to begin with there's an argument to be made that it was the app store itself was the killer app by making it easy to download and build apps apple made the iphone a winner. But Apple itself contradicts this theory with its own devices. When the Apple Watch was released in 2015, it had 3,500 apps. Not one of them was a hit, despite the device launching with more apps than the iPhone and with an app store and the porting over of many of the existing apps from the iPhone ecosystem. It wasn't until around the Watch's third generation that Apple was able to figure out that its primary use case was health. It wasn't until around the Watch's third generation that Apple was able to figure out that its primary use case was health and wellness, neither of which is really app reliant. They're more a function of sensors and design. Pretty much all Apple devices start slow relative to the scale they eventually reach. It takes them about two to three generations before sales really start to soar. So despite a total lack of killer apps, the iPhone and iPad have achieved enormous profits in scale. Even beyond Apple and the iPhone, this exception applies to many forms of personal computing from desktops to laptops. Every year, millions of laptops, cell phones, and tablets are sold without a killer app, even without the benefit of Apple's app store. How can this be? To answer the question, I'd like to propose a new theory on the relationship between hardware and software. I call it killer utility theory. Killer utility theory argues that the more general purpose a device the less individual applications matter, and the more important hardware differentiation becomes. It is the collective killer utility of all the apps that matter, not the existence of one killer app. Consumers buy an Xbox solely for gaming, and for many, solely for Halo. At least, that's what it was for me when I got my first Xbox at 12 after a year of begging my parents for it. Uh, By contrast, we buy a laptop because we want to do our work, play games, message your families, and stream Netflix. Now, this isn't necessarily like a novel theory, but what matters are the second-order implications. Because silicon chips are now cheap, powerful, and ubiquitous, every device has the computational horsepower to be a general-use platform. Laptops compete with tablets compete with VR headsets, all for the same set of consumers' jobs to be done. The battleground has shifted from having the killer app to having the killer utility. The more developers and unique sensors a hardware manufacturer has, the less reliance they have on a killer app. Competitive advantage stems from the ecosystem and novel hardware that developers use in unexpected ways. The iPhone didn't need a killer app because it simultaneously had an ecosystem of devoted developers and a bunch of novel hardware, including a system on the chip from Samsung that was Not quite custom, but uh, really specific for the iPhone. It also had a really novel interface. It had multi-touch glass for the first time. So you didn't have to have a keyboard anymore. You could play games and send emails from one device without the clunkiness of a stylus or the physicality of buttons. You could just tap and that was really new. Finally, there was a bunch of sensors and importantly, the original iPhone was missing a ton of the things that we now take for granted. It wasn't until the iPhone 3G in 2008 that it had GPS. The original device also had a rear camera, but it couldn't even record video. And the front-facing camera wasn't released until 2010, enabling applications like Snapchat, Zoom, and FaceTime. The original iPhone was, in fact, a non-obvious winner. It wasn't clear why it would be so successful. Microsoft CEO Steve Ballmer criticized it, saying $500 full subsidized of the plan I said that is the most expensive phone in the world and it doesn't appeal to business customers because it doesn't have a keyboard, which makes it not a very good email machine. TechCrunch ran the headline, quote, we predict the iPhone will bomb. Yikes. Both of these predictions cited the multi-touch screen as the reason the device would fail. Now I'm not trying to dunk on these folks. Predicting the future is very hard, but they are indicative of the challenge of evaluating a new platform. In their defense, they were sort of right. All the hardware and apps that came to define the iPhone beyond the multi-touch surface wasn't part of its first iteration. Steve Jobs' ungodly powers of marketing in combination with Apple's developer base was enough to get the iPhone ecosystem moving. Some of the most useful apps weren't made possible until subsequent generations of the iPhone. Uber needed the GPS, Snapchat the front-facing camera, Even the pedometer function, so common in today's health apps, wasn't possible until Apple included an accelerometer in the iPhone 4. Killer Utility Theory also better accounts for the strength of a hardware's ecosystem than does Killer App Theory. A family of devices, like the iPhone, Mac, and Apple Watch, can share competitive advantages, depressing the margins of developers within their ecosystem. An app that could be a killer app for a single device, like Strava for the Apple Watch, is just one of millions in the iPhone ecosystem. This is part of the reason why Apple is able to demand such high fees from developers. Apple doesn't need a killer app for the Vision Pro because it already has dozens of them live on the iPhone. Inversely, most laptop manufacturers have relatively low margins because their ecosystem of developers can port their apps to any of their competitors. Exclusivity is the key factor in killer apps. If an app relies on hardware that is only found on one device, then it has a higher chance of becoming a killer app. If it utilizes a novel form of human-computer interaction, like the iPhone's multi-touch, it has a higher chance of being a killer app. The more exclusive hardware makers can make their ecosystem developers such that they only want to develop for you, the less they need to have a killer app at all. The killer app has other weaknesses. For example, who is building the killer app for generative AI? Is it NVIDIA? Is chips and their associated firmware slash software power all of the training runs that make large language models. The company's revenue is up 265% year over year at $22 billion. Or is it... Microsoft and Amazon, do they have the killer apps? After all, their cloud infrastructure coordinates the training runs happening on the NVIDIA chips. Microsoft is doing roughly $6 billion a year in Azure AI revenue. Or is the killer app from OpenAI? GPT-4, which deploys on Microsoft servers on NVIDIA chips, powers ChatGPT, an application that has surpassed a $2 billion revenue run rate. Well, most people would say that ChatGPT is the killer app Is the killer app the one that makes the least money in the ecosystem? Or is the killer app Salesforce? Its applications are powered by, quote, OpenAI's enterprise-grade chat GPT technology, which is just, like, the most enterprise SaaS marketing phrase ever. That's very confusing. The actual numbers is in its earning call last November. It said that 70% of the Fortune 100 are Salesforce AI customers. How are we supposed to reckon with all these companies growing the revenue of their AI products so quickly? Are they all killer apps or are none of them? Killer applications only make sense. Killer applications only make sense when a device is used for one thing, making it the wrong lens through which to view the two most important trends in technology today: generative AI and virtual reality. Virtual reality is a generally applicable hardware computing platform while artificial intelligence is a generally applicable software computing platform. Virtual reality devices and apps are reliant on a suite of sensors, screens, and silicon. Meanwhile, while AI is reliant on hardware to be deployed and trained, the parts of the application that depend on it are obfuscated away from the end user. Killer utility theory would suggest that neither of these platform shifts hinge on building killer apps. Instead, VR is a broadly applicable computing platform that is waiting for a sufficient quality of hardware to be sold. When we are trying to determine who will capture value in VR, we need to be asking if one, the combination of speed, price, and utility allows for general computing tasks to be done better, or two, the VR hardware enables a totally new use case for computers. In contrast, AI is a horizontal software platform that can be applied to anything touching a keyboard. Asking for the killer app of AI is like asking for the killer app of WD-40. It just makes everything run better. The killer app for AI will just be a regular old app that does something new or better with AI as part of that value prop. Because AI is so economically valuable, for some time at least, all participants in the supply chain will do well from Nvidia to front-end applications. As companies jockey for power of these new technologies, we have to ask who will maintain long-term exclusivity. In the term of VR, it appears to be Apple for now. For AI, it is still unclear.